I bring grace to you and peace from God our Father through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been so mad at God that you considered perhaps throwing in the towel of spirituality, uh, calling it quits, hanging up the cleats of faith? Um, I think any one of us who really sits back and reflects on the circumstances of our life can identify one or two, maybe several places along the highway that we travel um, where God became not a friend, but appeared to be an antagonistic enemy. In those moments, there are many, many different emotions that can rear their heads um, in, in response to that confusion mentally, that hurt emotionally to what God seems to be doing or not be doing regarding some painful, hurtful, troubling circumstances. Um, you can range on the one hand from yelling, maybe even speaking some very angry words to God, to that point where you actually say, is it even worth it to follow this God who doesn't seem to be as concerned about my life as I would be if I were him? That's where we find ourselves this weekend in worship in our Portable Christianity series. You know, when we say that we are going to be portable Christians, we're going to carry faith with us, that means that we carry faith with us when it is easy and the wind is at our back. It also means that we carry faith with us when life is hard, the highway is bumpy, the straightaway ahead clouded in darkness with no clarity about the oncoming traffic that might meet us. Portable Christianity demands that we stick with God through the thick and the thin, the good and the bad. And that's what I want to talk with you about today, especially for those of you who may find yourself in a time of tricky spirituality where you're not sure where God exactly is positioned, whether in your favor or antagonistically set against you. We come up into a book of scripture, Job, uh, from the Old Testament, a well-worn, well-known story about a man who was deprived of almost everything that he had accumulated in his very successful and God-prospered life. He was deprived of all of that, and then through the course of many, many interactions with family, well, the wife that remained, and his three friends, Job was confronted with the possibility that God was not just sitting there as a silent observer in the tragedies that had befallen him, but rather, here's the key, Job was actually the victim of tragedies in which God was an active participant. Those are two different kinds of thinking about who God is and what he does. Oftentimes, when we think about God, we think about God and we use the words, God has allowed things to happen. He essentially has removed himself from at least one or two steps from the actual misfortune that comes on our lives. And so we use the very safe words, well, God's allowing this trial. God's allowing this circumstance. He's permitting this continued misfortune in order to accomplish any number of good things, to test my faith, to strengthen my faith, to strengthen my character, to help show me wisdom, to build a stronger relationship in the church with my family, blah, 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 blah. That's the language of allowance. 
Job, frankly, is a little bit different. Because what we read in the beginning of Job as he confronts a whole set of misfortune, the details of which are, are really inconsequential, except this one little piece, is that God and the devil were having a very intimate conversation about how to essentially wreck Job's life. To this point, God had been very proud of Job. His righteous character, the way that he had said thank you to God before every meal, at the end of every meal, beginning every worship service, God was the apple of Job's eye. But in this conversation between God and the devil, God teeters on the precipice of being an active participant in what Job would sadly experience. And his wife, Job's wife that is, not God's, and his friends, Job's friends, who through the course of the book are shown not to really be friends of God, Job's wife and his friends come to Job and say, you know, Job, you have clearly done something wrong that has resulted in God being an active participant in your misfortune. He is responsible for this. And therefore, you should just curse God so that you can die. They essentially were inciting Job to greater anger, greater distrust of God, greater frustration with the situation in which he found himself, which ex it, it simply exceeded all human comprehension. And, and Job was left after 37 haranguing chapters of conversation with his friends and his wife. Job was essentially at the point of saying, you know what? I'm through with you, God. I'm, I'm going to call it quits. And it's at this moment that God thunders into the silence. God speaks into the void of reason, into the thickness of Job's emotion, Listen to how God responds to Job in Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther you will come. Here your proud waves must stop. Did you hear what God said? God said essentially to Job, who, little, little tiny man, who do you think you are? Puny-minded man, what are you exactly trying to do with me, the God of the universe who has put all things in order, who maintains the order of all things, even in the sinful chaos of evil, externally understood as Satan, the devil, and internally understood in people like you and your friends, your wife. Who do you think you are? 
And essentially, through the next four chapters, Job will hear God thunder again and again with question after question. Why do you think you have the logical and intellectual basis to actually distrust me? Who, who do you think you are? God presents through these series of questions that I just read to you, and that was just the start, by the way. It goes on for several more chapters. God essentially says to Job, Job, you simply don't know who you're dealing with here. And while I may actually be an active participant in the misfortune that you are experiencing, and believe me, it was misfortune. It wasn't a mere annoyance that Job had to deal with. He lost everything that he had accumulated in life, God still comes and says, but I am telling you, Job, I am good. And of all the things you can question, my goodness is beyond doubt. It's the hardest thing that we have to transport that God is good, as the old saying goes in church, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And because of that, even when misfortune comes our way, we still have to be able to say, there are higher purposes at work. There is greater good being manifested. And the character of God is unimpeachable unimpeachable. That's not an easy message. Um, and if I'm honest with you, as you're listening to me talk, you may simply think that um, this kind of goes with the common statement of, you know, the Reverend Lovejoy from The Simpsons, you know, howdy neighbor, everything's coming up roses, no matter, you know, how handicapped your life has become. I, I really do get that. I think for me personally, in my life of studying Job, I've had to be able to come back to that unimpeachable aspect of God's character. It's always good. I don't understand his ways. I can't argue against his methods. But the thing that I, I really cannot do is I can't argue against his goodness. And, and I think that's what helps me get through the hardest days of life. I've had a few. You probably have as well. There is a God who's good. The devil is not. Satan is not. By my own device, frankly, I'm not that great either when it comes to righteousness, to the goodness that God's character demands. But there is one who, through Jesus Christ, entered into this world, walked this universal moment that God had created. He, he put his hands on a cross. He allowed himself to be put into a tomb. And three days later, by his own good choice, he enacted a new day of resurrection. It's called Easter. And in that moment, Jesus reconfirmed that regardless of how awful the circumstances are, how captive we are, how bondaged we are, how lame we are, blind we are, deaf we are, mute we are, no matter what kind of ailment, physically or spiritually, we wrestle with, the thing that we are invited to do is to still say, there is a good God who has victory even over this that I find myself in the midst of. 
I'm always mindful that by a two-to-one margin, God always shows himself to be a God of blessing and prosperity. I'm not a prosperity gospel kind of guy. That's another sermon, another teaching, another time. But I am the kind of guy that believes that God, generally speaking, rewards his people. Job started out magnificently rich and blessed in every way, not just materially, not just with money in the bank, gas in the tank. No, he, he, he was blessed in so many ways at the beginning of Job, but by the end of Job, after coming through 35 chapters of turmoil, Job is doubly blessed. I always like to say, by a two-to-one margin, God blesses his people more than he, he introduces misfortune into the lives of his people. Reminds me to look for those blessings, to see beyond the misfortune. Even at the end of Job, when he was so richly blessed, I'm still guessing he carried the heartache of the loss that he had suffered earlier. We, we know how that feels as well. Pain of loss, grief carries with us for a long time. But in the midst of it, we learn to say God is good, and he's good all the time. And if we can do that, then we've, we've drawn closer to the lesson that Job wants to teach us today and which Jesus Christ seals for us the day that he walked out of that tomb alive after being crucified. Thanks for listening in. God's peace to you as you continue to navigate this summer and take Christianity with you, your faith with you, wherever you go. May God prosper you in that mission, ministry, and in the experience of being free again, finally, after these days of COVID.